electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Steve Grasso, and Diadami. Tonight on Fast, the high flying semi stock is getting crushed this week, and one trader says there's still more pain to come. He'll tell us why he's so worried. Plus, it's the rise of the altcoins. The co founder and chief technology officer at Stellar will be here to tell us how he plans on becoming Wall Street's favorite coin. But first, we start off with the major sell off on the street. The Dow tanking more than 400 points today. Set, selling off into the close, now firmly in correction territory. And that's after what had been a wild week. Monday kicking off the week, dropping more than 300 points. We saw a small bounce back, but then yesterday the Dow dropped to stunning 700 points and followed that big move lower today. That's good for a total of about 1,400 points on the Dow. That is the second worst week on a point basis for the Dow ever. Second only uh, to a week in October 2008. So is the worst yet to come for this market and with stocks near correction territory? is the worst still to come. E. Well, my instincts say the worst is still to come, but I'll say this. Last night, Steve Grosso on this very show at about 5.35, if you recall, Mel, he sashayed over, to, what do we call hmm. that thing now, the, the plasma? plasma? He did that, not remember? A new name, by the and way. he pointed not. out an extraordinarily important level in the S&P. What was that, Steve? What was that level? Uh, which one? The, the 25.85? 25.85. Where did we close today? 25.88. So hmm. Steve's numbers were spot on. What does that mean? This is what I would suggest next week. I would not fade Monday's move. In other words, if the market opens higher, don't fade it thinking there's going to be a retracement. And if the market opens lower, don't think we're going to see a significant bounce. That would be my instructions going forward for Monday. I would say the following. Uh -huh. Next week, I think, is the most important week for the stock market probably in the last five years. What do you say? I, I would agree with that. And we're going into a Easter week. We have a shortened week next week. So we have four days next week. So people are really keying in on where we end the month of March. This is extremely important. Was today the 200-day, is that a good enough test, or do they want to see that 2532 level, the February 9th lows? I'm in the camp that they want to see those lows, but you never short a dull market, so you could see a pop next week. Were you worried today? No, I mean, I wasn't worried today. The desk was relatively quiet, and we didn't see a bunch of people coming in and panicking. There's a comfort level sort of around the positions that are core positions, but there is trimming at the edges. I'm not worried necessarily about this market imploding and really correcting to much lower levels. I think it could be a slow bleed for a couple weeks, just like these guys are talking about, and you pick your poison. You pick the stocks that you've been comfortable with to add on weakness. So, I mean, in certain areas of technology, you're going to add on weakness. I'd avoid Facebook like the plague. I think it's going to continue to go lower. Um, and, you know, I look at some of these industrials, you know, and financial names that I'd buy in the pullback. I, I've got a slightly different take on, on what all these guys are saying. First of all, so much for the pause that refreshed. I mean, that was definitely not a pause that refreshed. It was a pause that set us up uh, to deal with a multiple or, or a multitude of other issues. But um, what I would say is I am starting to get a little more encouraged at how negative people are getting. Uh, in other words, I, I felt people were overly complacent or sanguine about what we had in early February. Um, what scares me, though, about today's close is that, you know, the Friday, February 9th is when we had that massive intraday reversal. We went into the weekend. It gave markets a chance to actually essentially contemplate what really were the risks, what were not. 
We obviously closed on the lows two days in a row. So Guy's analysis of, of at least how we start out next week, I think, is, is probably right. Steve's analysis of month end is also important because it's also quarter end. So I think there's a lot of liquidity dynamics at work. There's not going to be a lot at work. You've got, you've got holidays for multitude of faiths next week. There's a lot of people that are going to be checked out. And that's not a good environment can, for the market. I agree, but you have to also realize right now that there's uncertainty still with this, this 301. I mean, we heard a response from China about 232. We haven't heard anything so you're about... With me. I'm agreeing with you, and I think that you have to add that into the calculations here. No one's heard a response from China. We're not, we haven't heard a response on 301 yet. We're going to hear something, and it could be a lot more drastic. When I asked you if you were worried, and you said no, no I just now think, it sounds like you're worried. No, no, no. So my confused. point is well, that, that that's why... Ago. No, I said I wasn't worried. I think the slow bleed lower, I think, uh. will occur. Am I worried that we're going to crash, that we're going to go down another 10% in this market? Absolutely not yeah, David, worried about today, that. Today, the problem was everyone was pointing to the, the veto of the spending bill. That was the issue that the market was dealing with. We were, we, you, could, you could pick your poison. Was it tariffs? Was it the veto of the spending bill? A pastiche today, of all of those exactly, things. To, today it felt like it was definitely the veto of the spending bill. When President Trump came out, the market tried to rally, and then to Tim's point, reversed. What is it about now? It seems like we're back to the I think it was algorithm, Al, Algo trading at the oh, end of the day that basically came in and, and, and was one-way positioning. You have that happen in the market now. I mean, it's Algos are dictating, quants are dictating the moves in this market and the volume in this market. You're not seeing the high-touch trading desks come in and get the big order flow that's going to be directional, if you will. It's all electronic trading, and I think that's super important to recognize. But what do you do if you're at home? You be careful. Not, okay. You have to be patient exactly. until you start to see. So you, you should be worried maybe a little bit. Well, I don't, I, again, not worried about a crash, if you will. I'm more worried about a slow bleed lower, and, and, and you're not and not seeing a sort of uptick in... So in pastiche, uh, the same thing you put on your shoulders. Yeah. No, that's chilly. pashmina. Pashmina. Difference. Mm. So pastiche is different. Appreciate yes. that's the a little more you sexy. Know. The more you know. I'll give you, I'll give you the more you know. Okay. February 9th, I think, when all this stuff started to happen, I couldn't even spell tariff, let alone that being <laughs> in the parlance of the marketplace. <laughs> Nobody was talking about it. In my opinion, this happened long before this tariff talk. I think this is sort of one more thing on top of the fire, and I think Tim has pointed yeah. that out as well. But there's something else going on in the marketplace. I think a lot of it is the Fed's changing course. I think that's a big deal, and I'll say it again. There's something wrong with Deutsche Bank. Yes. There's absolutely something going on. If that was a U.S. bank, we'd talk about it every single night. And a lot of people have been pointing to the blowout and what LIBOR OIS spreads is a sort of a yes. canary um, in the coal mine, possibly. Yes, um, but I, I do think you're, you're, you're wise to bring that up. You brought this up. I think Deutsche Bank, though, is could be one-off. Deutsche Bank is going through a painful restructuring. Uh, just today, they actually launched their, their asset management arm, which traded okay. Um, they're in the process of cutting what's supposed to be over a billion dollars in expenses this year. They're not going to do it. They told us that a couple days ago. Um, so the stock keeps running into issues, which include the ECB. Um, so if you look at European financials, though, vis-a-vis -vis U.S. financials, by the way, XLF with a terrible week, um, I, I, European financials are, are lockstep. In other words, they're both down about 1% to 2% on the year. So I don't think that Europe is worse off, and I think on the upside, Europe is better off. That's my view. How would you, how would you think of positioning come Monday? So if you're looking at the way we closed, I think we closed weak technically. I do think that you want to see this, this uh, sell-off last a little bit longer. But trying to thread it, trying to time it, I, I think is a fool's errand. I think you have to stay long. And get longer if we dip this next. You're still constructive low. on the markets. Still constructive on the markets. You're still constructive on I'm the markets longer term. Yeah. You're still. Look, my, my view You're... has been. Uh, I think that there are certainly some valuation issues. Right. I think you know my biggest issue with this week was 
Hubris and Washington. We know these are confident guys. We know these are business guys. But bottom line is I think these guys got a little ahead of themselves. SOTP is not some of the parts. It's seat of the pants. I think that's what some of the policy is right now. When you said next week is going to wow. be arguably the, the most important week for the market. I believe that. It sounds like you think it go, could go either way. 100 percent. I'm yeah. not suggesting I know what's going to happen right, on right. Monday. I don't. I mean, we could easily walk in here. The S&P is up 30 handles because the president says something or tweets something over the weekend. Right. And I, my point is I wouldn't fade that move because we saw the sure. same thing on February 10th. 2016, where the market ripped on that close on that don't, Friday. Don't, don't, don't put anything fade in play. Either move, move on Monday, is yeah. my opinion. All right. Our next guest says, fear not. The bull case is still intact. Let's go off the charts with Robert Slimer of Fundstrat Global Advisors. Rob, show us why you think that. Great. Thanks, Melissa. So let's take a look at the longer term chart, or at least going back to the cycle low back in 2016 when all the global cyclicals bottomed. From what we can tell, the uptrend is still intact. It's a pretty clearly defined uptrend channel. So I think it's still premature to make a case that we're actually moving into a bearish longer-term environment. So price will be news. And in this environment where we have a lot of uncertainty over interest rates, a lot of political headlines, the technicals are going to be very important, at least from my perspective. So what we have is a very established uptrend. The 200-day just conveniently happens to uh, be in the same spot that the lows that we had around 2535. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and the market still looks uh, still looks like it's in a bull market. I don't want to be whistling past the past the graveyard. There is a troubling technical pattern here, but so far it's still intact. What I think is happening: this is our first move off the low. This is our second major move. I still think there's another one into the balance of 2018, and we're just seesawing into earnings, and there's still more upside. Let's take another look at the closer term or the shorter term pattern. Here's that. Um, I'm not sure why that doesn't exactly line up, but we, we closed right around that 200-day moving average. As Steve mentioned, 25.88, 25.32, 25.35 is the low. Should those levels break, we're looking at a 24.20, 24.80 level. This is the third day down. When I was on the show last Wednesday, Steve said he was looking for another swoosh. He was right. I was wrong. But we're into the, the third day down. I still think the market's going to be moving into a broad consolidation. Let's take a look at the NASDAQ. Again, a huge move here into the end of the year, but we're still in this big trend channel. Made a new high. I think we work our way down to the low end of that trading uh, band, closer to the 200-day moving average. And that takes us down to these levels. So there could still be some more volatility. But overall, I think this is going to end up being a broad trading range through the end of the month into, the, into, uh, into earnings. And I think the market can regenerate at that point. Lastly, if we look at some areas that still look okay, that are still acting healthy, we're getting this huge rotation out of leadership to laggards. Transports are acting pretty well. Not perfect, but not bad at all. There's that big trading range that the transports have been in. They still look like they're emerging out of that range. And what I find encouraging is that relative strength is starting to improve. So there are pockets, an important barometer. It's still working. All right, I think Rob comes over. Yes. Big day like today? Yeah, absolutely. We need, him. We need uh, Rob Ryan, right please bring the chair in. Thank you. Welcome. So when it comes to financials and technology for the week, they're down 7 and 8 percent, respectively. Do those individual charts reflect what you're seeing in the composite S&P 500? I think they do. If we, uh -huh. take, uh, if we take the NASDAQ and we look at the uh, extended leadership that we had going into the end of the year, beginning of January, uh, tech looks like that. Some of these stocks were up 70 percent off the February low. Semiconductors screamed off the bottom. Uh, Netflix is up 70 percent off the low. So it's not unusual to see that type of pattern un unwind and get some consolidation. 
Financials had a big move. Lots of people were overweight. So it seems to me in the market you're getting a lot of leaders getting unwound, a lot of laggards like energy and utilities sort of getting rebounds. But I don't think it's the end of the bull market from what I can tell. So, Robert, when you look at the, uh, the transfer referral of leadership, does everything else since financials and technology, to Melissa's point, are 40% of the S&P now, it's not just one sector that has to hit. It can't just be energy. It seems like every sector has to perform. What are the odds and the likelihood of that? And if we hit that level you're talking about, 24 and change, it's over. I don't know if it's over. I mean, I think we still have a long-term bull market in place. We have a cycle low in 2016. There could be some more damage here, certainly. This is the third. We're in our second day down. You called it last Wednesday on this show. We have one more day down on, on Monday. I don't know how it's going to turn out. We may violate those levels. But I think we're starting to get deeply oversold. Think about what's happened to things like Trin. We're not seeing extremes. We're not getting VIX uh, levels up to extremes. Volume was higher, but it's not extreme. Uh, uh, high yield spreads aren't blowing out. So we're getting lower highs in a lot of the internal indicators, which I think are very consistent with a market bottom trying to develop. It's early. I don't see it yet, but I think we're getting close. Last quick question, Rob. On Monday morning, as a technical analyst, you walk in and you look at what on your screen before the market opens? I, th I think pretty much what everybody else is looking okay. at. We're going to look at the equity markets. We're going to look at bond futures. We're going to look at uh, high yield spreads. We're going to look at the European banks, which have been a huge drag. The OIS spreads, I think, are very, very important. Mm -hmm. That's probably not going to disappear in one day. But I do think there's a possibility we come in, Asian selling, European selling, yep. futures are down. It's scary. We've seen this show before, right, where we come down, we open up. It's weak. It's not pleasant. I think we start to rebound before the week's over. Rob, good to see you. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Rob Slimer, Fun Start. Coming up, stocks getting slammed this week, but there are some charts that are looking so bad they might actually be good. We're going bargain hunting with our traders. Plus, it's a battle of the altcoins. The co-founder and chief technology officer of one of the largest cryptocurrencies, Stellar, will be here to tell us how he plans to become Wall Street's favorite coin. And later, energy standing strong this month. It is the best performing sector in March. Clinging to positive territory, there is one stock in the group the traders are betting is about to break out. We will tell you the name. We are live from New York City's Times Square on this Friday night. We've got much more Fast Money for you right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks getting slammed this week, and the S&P 500 is now just half of a percent away from correction territory. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the NYSE for more. Hi, Bob. Hi, Melissa. What a week for Wall Street. My heavens, the S&P moved in a 150-point range, opening the week at its high and closing at its lows. The big problem is the two most important sectors, financials and technology, aren't showing any leadership. Both sectors were down nearly 7% in the last five days. Together, they're 40% of the S&P 500. If they're weak, there's no way the market can significantly advance. Tech stocks were hit especially hard. Facebook was down 14%. Social media is in the midst of an existential crisis crisis right now. All the other FANG stocks, they were down notably as well, with Amazon down over 4%, Alphabet down over 9%. The weakness in bank stocks was in the biggest names as well. So Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Key Corp, PNC Financial, all down 7 to 9%. These stocks are now sitting right near the lows for the year that they also saw in February. Energy and utilities led the charge this week. Okay, but they're such a small part of the S&P 500 that they can't really move the overall index. So why the volatility? Trade protectionism is a threat to earnings growth. It's the main driver of the stock market. Earnings are expected to increase about 20% this year. That's a lot. So even a modest threat is enough to cause a lot of volatility. And that's what we got this week. Back to you, Melissa.
All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. So there are some charts out there that look so bad, they might be a good buying opportunity. So uh, we've asked the traders to come up with their charts. Tim? Yeah, my chart is XLF. And so what, what Bob talked about, what we've talked about already on the show, is just how the financials got drubbed. Uh, in fact, from that Fed moment to now, we're down about 7% on the XLF. Extraordinary move, down about 8 and 3 quarters percent. So within a whisker of correction time, and yet the financials to me, are the best suited, best balance sheets. They've never been better, arguably. Um, there's a lot of improvement in LIBOR. So the low end of the curve, where I think they have enormous operating leverage, it, look, I don't care about the, the level of the yield curve. I really don't, not here. Um, and if this economy is worried about overheating from inflation, you want to own the banks. This was a tough week. As a person who says uh, Deutsche Bank might be something to watch, Gee. Yes. Did you like this chart, Tim's chart? I think U.S. banks, to Tim's point, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably in the best shape they've ever, maybe ever been in terms of capitalization, in terms of the balance sheet. So I'm with Tim. The only, the only bugaboo, and Steve points this out, if the market goes down, 70% of the, the underlying stocks go down as well. They'll get dragged down with the rest of them. But in terms of fundamentals, in terms of valuations, they make yeah. a lot of sense. You like BAC. Yeah, w without question. It's in the same theme as Timmy. You look at February 9th, you have a lot of double bottoms that you're looking at in the charts, whether it's the XLF, whether it's JP Morgan. So the whole subsector works. Bank America, 2913 was your level from February 9th. It breached it just slightly. I'm looking for a bounce, but the overall market mm -hmm. has to bounce for these to work. Um, so BAC in particular, you ask me? No, no, no. Uh, so my pick, you're my going pick, into my, Fang. My pick is Google. I mean, look, I think the chart is ugly. It's been a lagger. I think this is a name where money, if you, know, you see a bounce in that sector, if we do, this would be one, I think, that maybe gains a little bit of leadership, given the fact that money, incremental dollars may go into it versus a Facebook. They're, they're immune a little bit from the standpoint of, I know there's the EU attacks that people are sort of concerned about, um, but, but ultimately you don't have choices, really choices, when it comes down to search. Uh, and I look at it and say, Facebook, you have a choice. If you want to be in their social platform, you can go to other mechanisms. So I'd say Google. Guy, your chart, please. General Motors, Melissa. And I'll tell you, I mean, in terms of valuation, it's trading at basically 30% of the valuation of the broader market. It's trading at a discount to Ford. And listen, I'm not suggesting it should be trading at a market multiple, but five and a half times forward earnings is ridiculous. It's round trip the move from July from 35 to 45, back to 35. I think just in terms of getting a... Decent valuation, this should be a $42 I mean, stock. you went with the ugliest chart. Ugly. You said ugly chart. Go ugly early. That's a motto. Go ugly or go home. Chart. Yeah. I've heard. So, anyway. All right. Speaking of bad charts, if you're holding one, we're going to tell you how you can fix the trade and cut your losses. That is later this hour. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. That's what happened to the chip stocks this week. And one trader says it's about to get a lot worse. He'll explain why. Plus, fly me to the moon. It's a race to the moon for the largest altcoins. And the co-founder of Stellar will tell us what's going to turbocharge his coin. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Controversy in one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges is dragging down Bitcoin this week. Reports surfacing that Binance has been operating without a license and regulators in Japan may shut it down. Binance CEO initially debunking those tw uh, reports via Twitter, but now Binance has announced that it is planning to open an office in the country of Malta. The uncertainty putting the crypto universe, though, on edge. So how safe is your crypto? Let's bring in the creator of Mt. Gox and co-founder of Stellar, Jed McCaleb. Jed, great to have you with us. Yeah, hi. Great to be here. Um, you obviously know a thing or two about how secure exchanges might be. So what's your advice for, for people out there? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I was only involved in the exchange space for a very brief period of time. I've, I've been more focused on building actually these platforms. Uh, so, but you, you do have to be very careful. I mean, obviously, this is a, a, a new. All this technology is new, and um, you, you know, you, like try to keep your money in the most reputable exchange. I, I don't really have that much advice about exchange stuff. But all right, let, let's move on to the platforms because your history is basically that you co-founded Ripple and then you moved on to co-found Stellar because of certain differences uh, in opinion, philosophy differences that you wanted to operate the platform on. So, can you tell us what the key differences? are between Ripple and Stellar because a lot of people think of these two as the preferred platforms for the financial services industry. Yeah, right. So uh, what we're trying to build at Stellar is a, a, an internet level protocol. And, and I think it's important that that be done by a, a nonprofit entity. Like if you imagine the internet created by a for-profit company, we would just be in a very different world. And that's essentially what we're what we're trying to do is make it where payments works, uh, how information works on the internet now, where you, you everything's interoperable, you can send money to anywhere, uh, and so you kind of just need this this uh, kind of governance and structure that that wasn't really done in, in Ripple, and 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 kind of beyond that, it's important to have uh, lots and lots of participants in the network, not just uh, a, a few. So. Uh, one of the things that we're doing in Stellar is distributing the underlying asset, the underlying coin, like very widely. And I think that that's a kind of a key thing to actually make these things successful. I mean, one of the interesting things that, is that one of the just sort of the, the forces within the crypto community is this notion that things should be decentralized, right? And the case is made that Ripple is a much more centralized sort of platform because it's got and it seeks to partner with some of the biggest financial institutions out there where Stellar uh, is nonprofit and sees itself as as less centralized or decentralized. Tell us why that is an advantage from from a user standpoint or from from a bank standpoint, for instance, who wants to operate something on the platform. Why is that an advantage? Right. I mean, it, it, so it's 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 less. That's more of a technical consideration. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, like technically, the, the consensus algorithm of Ripple lends itself to to. It's very hard to run uh, nodes outside. Uh, like Ripple Labs, like so, they're they're running the majority of the nodes, uh, which uh, it should be concerning for people, right? Because it's basically you're ended up with a system that's no better than than uh, Swift or PayPal, one of these centralized systems. The real vision here is that you have a network much like the internet that anyone can participate in. Uh, there, there's not one central entity that could kind of change, like decide that it's going to start charging or just right. uh, you know start to you know like like that that's, that should be of, of utmost concern to people. Like this is the way that this thing can actually grow. Uh, and and reach ubiquity. Like the only the only other kind of network we've seen do that is the internet, and and it's important that it is open. Like that's the key component sure. and, and okay. distributed. So, Jed, yeah. unfortunately, we're out of time today. We hope you come back to Fast Money. We'd love to hear from you again, Jed McCaleb, the co-founder of Stellar. Time for the final trade, Tim Seymour. Yeah, again, if you want by the banks, XLF to me is the place you want to go. It gives you the broadest exposure. Like that chart. 32. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a buyer basically of uh, XLF here. I'd be a buyer as well, no question. Awesome. Thank America. THC, sister. All right. Stay tuned. Options Action is up right after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.